Welcome to the Tom the Trainer Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Wooland. This podcast is for frustrated men and women who think they've tried everything to lose body fat and aren't willing to give up on their fitness goals. I'm going to give you clear, actionable steps to cut through all the bullshit in the industry, focus on what actually works, and dominate every aspect of your life. Now let's get into today's episode. So uh, I also repurposed these for my podcast. So if you are listening to this on the podcast, this is a free Q&A session that I host in my free Facebook group, Tom the Trainer's Tribe. We do it every single Wednesday. Uh, and basically it's an opportunity to ask me free questions and get my opinions on things. If, um, you've been enjoying my content and you feel as though that you have questions. So this is a way for me to, uh, answer those questions for people. And then, um, pardon me. And then, um, give like free help. Right. So, um, it's just an opportunity for me to give back and make the live in the tribe. Uh, well, make the Tom, the trainer's tribe, like the most valuable free Facebook group in the space. And that's my goal, right? So if you are watching this, uh, on Facebook comment live, if you're here, awesome. We got a few people in people watching. If you're watching this anywhere other than in the tribe, the whole entire, episode isn't going to be with in those other spaces other than on the podcast and in the tribe. And if you're listening to this in the podcast, then you get to listen to it after the fact. Whereas if you're in Tom, the trainer's tribe, you actually get to ask questions live and I answer them for you. Right. The first question uh, is what's the best thing to jump start my metabolism in the morning? So this question actually, I believe came up last week as well. Um, basically I believe the best thing that you can do to jumpstart your metabolism in the morning is start your day off with a big, huge glass of water, uh, rehydrate yourself and then like get some movement in and then get a meal in fairly quickly in the morning as well. And then after you've had that first meal of the day, it's a phenomenal idea to go for a 10 minute walk. It'll start the mTOR. It'll it'll uh, signal mTOR, which is the first step in muscle protein synthesis and building muscle. And then you'll also have nutrition present when you're going for a walk. So it's good for boosting your metabolism through building muscle. But then it also will help like regulate hormones like um, your insulin levels. Uh, and it's a really good day to just kind of get. It's a good way to get moving first thing in the morning. Uh, I really went into this in depth on episode number, it's going to be episode number 17 in the podcast. So check that out as well if you want a more in-depth answer. Um, next question that I have is from Chantel in the tribe. And she says a few years ago, she hurt her lower back, C4. Twisted wrong. I don't know how. I picked up my three-year-old son and I could not come back up. Severe pain for days. Chiropractor helped me out, but gave advice to strengthen core and back muscles. What would be the best exercises to strengthen my lower back muscles? Sorry for the delay. I'm chugging water because we know how important it is to have our water, right? So um, I believe, so uh, clarity-wise, C4 is a vertebrae up in your cervical spine, up in your neck. Um, 
So uh, I'm thinking it's probably L4. Um, I have, so I have a certification myself under Dr. Stuart McGill. Uh, and I'll go into like a little bit of a backstory is I had a very severe back injury myself and I walked with a limp for the better part of a decade. It was seven plus years and I wasn't really able to get any relief with it. The relief that I did get was very, very short lived through stretches and things like that, that I would have to do multiple times per day until I went and took a certification under Dr. Stuart McGill. And that certification actually literally like changed my life, changed my career, uh, put my career in a trajectory that um, who knows where I'd be today had I not taken that certification. Because when I was at the certification, I'm very inept at like uh, noticing deficiencies in movements. Um, so there was a practical part of that training and in that practical part of the training, I was making observations that uh, Dr. Stuart McGill was very impressed by. So actually people uh, like some of the vendors and stuff that were there um, were calling me like the prodigy and stuff um, because Dr. Stuart McGill kept like pointing out like my skill set and my ability to notice deficiencies in movements um, as well as some other questions that I had asked that he felt were very um, like high level questions that a high level trainer would notice. Um, so it was a really, really awesome experience for me. And um, the other thing that happened is, is I was talking to Stuart McGill and he had said, uh, he asked how long I was at the seminar. And at the time I was actually still uh, serving on weekends Um Actually, I think I was serving, uh, I'm going to go off here, but sorry, I was, uh, I was uh, working for Good Life Fitness and then I stepped away from Good Life Fitness because I, I took on, I was very, very successful very quickly and I took on too many clients way too fast and I was burning out really, really hard because I was like training clients 45, 50 hours a week plus having gaps in my day. So I burnt out really, really hard and I took a little bit of a step back and um, it was the first time that I had gone out on my own to just do personal training actually part time. And then I was still serving for like my full time job. And uh, Dr. Stuart McGill had spoken to me and asked me how long I was at the seminar for because he wanted at me in the, at the entire thing, but I was only there for the weekend. And he went up to the company that was um, doing the certification went up to the company and said, I, I want you to, however you need to make it happen, make it so that he can be here for the entire seminar. I want him here for the entire seminar. And I wasn't able to attend it, um, the entire thing. Um, but I left that certification in that seminar, just kind of thinking to myself, like, what am I doing? The number one spinal practitioner, rehab spinal practitioner in the world singled me out amongst like hundreds of trainers and hundreds of chiros and physios uh, and was pointing me out as a standout. Why am I only serving? Why am I serving full-time and training part-time? So I went into, I just, I went all in after that because he believed in me. So anyways, that's the backstory there. Um, but I was able to take the principles that I learned in uh, his seminar as well as principles that I learned through other certifications and fully rehab my back from literally walking with a limp for like the better part of a decade, uh, not being able to put my socks on without laying on my back in bed 
or being able to tie my own shoes. And if I was serving, if I dropped a toonie on the ground, I literally would look at it and just be like, Oh my God, it's not worth it. Cause I just couldn't, I couldn't pick it up. Like it, I, so I'm really understanding of back pain and I've actually in person rehabbed multiple bad backs, including my wife, Alyssa. That's how we met. Uh, was, I saw her in the gym and she was working on some exercises and I had said like, um, do you suffer from back pain? I could see it like in her posture and some things. And that's how we met. Anyways, I'll get into the answer on your question. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool story. If anybody wants to hear the story, just comment, like hear the story in the, in the chat and I will, uh, but I'll get to this, the answer to this question. Okay. So this is really, really right up my alley when it comes to like rehabbing a back injury, there's like different stages in the process. But stage number one is like desensitizing your central nervous system and getting to downregulate the pain signal. And the only way for you to do that is going to be by strengthening your core with movements that like with exercises that are anti-spinal movement exercises, not movements like crunches and things like that, but movements that are resisting rotation of the spine um lateral flexion of the spine so when your hip like would like push sideways so um as well as extension which would be like when your low back like arches really hard or flexion which would be like when you're doing a crunch and you're bringing your your chest towards your hips so you want to avoid those movements and really the best three exercises to get started on that are going to be the mcgill three so that's a bird dog, but it's important to look at your form on a bird dog. It's an anti-spinal movement and people don't train it that way. They train it way too fast. They don't control their spine. They're rotating. It's about slow, controlled, flexing your core, moving where you're elevating opposite limbs while on all fours and doing so in a way where your spine doesn't rotate or extend an arc excessively. So it's very controlled. Um, the McGill crunch is a phenomenal exercise as well. And what you do there is you lay on your back on the floor and you put your hands underneath your low back, uh, just above the, the points of your hip. And then you bring one knee up so that like one foot is solely on the ground while the other leg is straight. And then you kind of come up slightly and you hold that position and you come back down. You're controlling your spine because you've got your arm, your hands in the arch of your spine to make sure that the spine doesn't um, flex, right? It doesn't round towards the floor. And then you're holding it and you're holding that contraction. Um, and then the other exercise of the McGill 3 is a side plank. And if you can't do a side plank from your feet, you can do it like from your knees or you can like elevate your upper body. And the more you elevate your upper body, the easier the exercise becomes. So like you could do a side plank up against a wall on a bench on a floor. You could elevate your feet on a bench and that would be like a means of progression through that exercise. So the main thing is, is to strengthen the core against movement. And the only way to do that is to train it with anti-movement exercises. And then um, 
The other thing that you need to be extremely mindful of is your daily movement patterns. So you have to move athletically in everything that you do. Um, when you're sitting on a couch, you have to think about the foundations and the fundamentals of a squat. And you need to be sitting upright, flexing your core and feet flat on the ground, knees outward a little bit to create clearance in your hips. Um, don't sit on soft couches that don't have support that will cause you to sink into the couch and round out your low back. When you're making, when you're turning, don't plant your feet and twist, do a sidestep. It's like, so you plant one foot and then you turn and your shoulders and your hips move together. Um, when you're bending over to pick something up off the ground, do it like you would do a squat or a lunge. Things like um, brushing your teeth. You want to do a deadlift pattern when you bend over to um, to uh, get the water to rinse out your mouth. Or if you're really sensitive, then maybe you're not ready for that. And what you would need to do is put some water in your hand and rinse out your mouth that way. So you need to do movement patterns that are athletic and safe for the spine. Because like if power lifters can load hundreds of pounds upwards of a thousand pounds in a squat and not hurt their back, then it's probably the safest way to move for your spine. Right. Um, so you need to do the core strengthening exercises and you need to be very mindful about your movement patterns so that you're using the strength that you created to resist movement of the spine posturally through your daily movements. So I know that was a bit of a long winded answer, that's kind of the starting point of things. And then there's progressions from there. I could literally, I could go on for an hour and a half on this topic, but that would be a good place to start and a really great, and a really great book to help with low back pain is a book called back mechanic mechanic. It's a simple, simply wrote book with illustrations and things that will help you understand the movement patterns and nail them down. Um, and interestingly enough, um, when Stuart McGill was approached by writing a book, the book company was like, we want you to write a book that says like, I don't know, six easy steps to rehabbing your back or something. Right. And Stuart McGill was like, well, I'm not calling it that I'm not writing a book called that because like, um, the thing with back rehab is like. There's principles to execute, but you have to have a level of intuition to know where people are at and when to progress those things, right? Um, and even things like how you walk matters. So I've helped people with those exercises. I helped um, my mother-in-law, Lisa's um, um, tenant at one point in time. She broke her back and I showed her a few things from the back mechanic book and she was like forever grateful and said like she had no pain. So that book is a game changer. Um, and that's like step number one, you know, like I said, I could, I could go on about this for hours on this topic. Um, but that's your best place to start. Okay. Uh, I hope that was really, really helpful. Everybody find that helpful. Just comment helpful in the chat. And if you found that helpful watching, listening to the podcast, Hook me up, share this to your story. Um, and not only hook me up, like help somebody else, right? Because I think we can all agree that this is extremely useful information. And 
I feel like sometimes the information that's in the free Q&A lives is literally like more valuable than like what some fitness practitioners literally charge people for, right? Um, but it just kind of goes to show you like my intentions um, with helping people. And also, I don't give you away all the secrets. So uh, this is just the free stuff that I give out, right? But I mean, I've got, you can see if you're watching this, like, certifications awards and all kinds of things in the background so um you know it's a matter of helping with the information but it's really hard to give all the information out to people without like you know if you're a trainer for seven years and you follow the exact path that i took with certifications and and, and the way that i went about my career then about set in about seven years you'll know all of what i know but either way keep listening to these because they're helpful right um Melissa has got a question and I'm just going to grab a drink of water before I get into it. So Melissa is asking about one one arm being a lot stronger than the other. And whenever she's lifting dumbbells, she really struggles to keep the movement even. And how can I, how can she even things out equally in both arms? So, if you have a like discrepancy of strength or development from one arm to the other, then the best thing to do is definitely prioritize movements that are like um, free from each other. So prioritize dumbbells uh, more than barbells or machines. Um, do some isolation lifts that um will help bring up the strength in in the area that is weak you kind of have to know where it's coming from and it could also be like you might need some rehab because sometimes you're not as strong in one arm as the other and it's not like strength in a means of the muscle's ability to exert force but you're not as strong because there's an issue with stability so the, the number one thing to look at when you are doing compound exercises and you're noticing one side is stronger than the other, but if you do isolation exercises that just isolate specific muscles, you don't find that, then it's quite likely that it's either the main muscle in that compound lift, like the, the muscle in that compound lift that probably uh, is most challenged while the other muscles are still involved. It's probably that or find out what it is by working through isolation exercises. So say, for example, if you have an issue with um, your, your bench press and it's uneven, well then like, what about when you do overhead press on each side? Okay. What about lateral raises? What about tricep extensions? What about single arm chest flies? Are you noticing a difference between the two? And can you uncover where that difference is coming from? If you don't see much of a difference in strength when you're doing isolation exercises, then that's a really, really good indication that it's actually coming down to a lack of stability. Then if it were upper body and it was a, you know, a bench press exercise where you notice the difference, it's likely going to be your serratus probably which is the muscle in your armpit they call it the boxer the boxer muscle it protracts the shoulder it like pushes the shoulder forward uh 
or it could also be your external rotators and the back muscles surrounding your shoulders and your shoulder blades. Um, and you would have to work on like specific rehab exercises to bring those up. So it's a matter of like finding out what's the cause. Is it strength? Is it strength of a group of muscles? Is it strength in one muscle? And then is it stability? And if it's stability, it's likely coming from the shoulder joint, right? So you've got external rotators of the shoulder joint, like your traps, your the areas in your back are going to be like your traps, your rhomboids, your teres, and things like that, your rotator cuff. And then in the front, serratus. Commonly, serratus is something that's extremely overlooked by people. Um, but having said that, like Melissa book a book a one-to-one call with me because Alyssa is actually um a a one-on-one client and we can like hash it out uh for 15 minutes or so and get really right down to the root cause of things and then prescribe some modifications or I can literally send you like an exact uh rehab protocol to balance things out um but I would like rehabbing a back um it would take some back and forth uh, questions, um, and things then where I can pinpoint down where it's coming from. And then I can teach you how to fix it. My whole right side atrophied after my neck injury, like my right shoulder my right bicep, my right tricep, my lat, the external rotators, uh, in my back around my shoulder blades, as well as my serratus. And even to this day, my serratus like still struggles. And even to this day, I do, I do rehab exercises to bring it up. I've got a nerve issue. So it's kind of like a bit of an uphill battle for me, um, but very well-versed in correcting those things. If you book a one-on-one call with me, Melissa. Um, but o- otherwise, I hope that that all helped everybody. Like kind of like if you're looking at a thought process of things. So as a recap, if you have an imbalance uh, strength wise from one side to the other, what you need to do is you need to try to pinpoint where that imbalance is coming from by using some isolation lifts to isolate specific muscles. And then if you don't see a difference in those specific muscles, but you're still noticing a difference in your compound exercises, like your overhead presses or your bench presses, then it's probably a factor of stability and not strength in a certain muscle, but it's probably one of the stabilizers surrounding your shoulder blade. And then obviously you would have to systematically go through those muscles to find out where that discrepancy is coming from. And that's something that I personally help clients with one-on-one and, and provide like rehab protocols recently sent a client um, one for his ankle. Actually, actually I've recently sent a, a few for ankles. And then I've actually got a client as well who's dealing with this exact issue right now. And I've sent him an alternate warm-up routine to help correct it. And it'll come along. It takes time, but that's your process. Chell, Chell, if you're watching this, can you let me know? I, I just never want to mispronounce your name. And I know I came up with, I think I'm, I don't know if it's Chell or Kel, but um question is what are some good standing core exercises um it, 
So the best the ba- the the best way to train your core from a standing position, honestly, is going to be compound exercises, overhead press, squats, deadlifts, front squats are phenomenal to train your core from a standing position. Otherwise, it's kind of hard to challenge the core from a standing position. You you are challenging your core every time you're standing and there's resistance or load placing you off balance that you're resisting. Like you're training your core, even when you're doing like a chest fly or if you're doing a standing cable press. Something really cool that you can do is you can like do a little bit of a staggered stance, like where you can put like one, you can place your feet narrow or wide and uh, narrow will create more of a challenge and you put one foot slightly in front of the other and then you alternate those positions when you're doing your sets so maybe on one set you got left foot forward on the other set you got right foot forward um and there's a lot of like fancy like a lot of neat ways that you can do it like doing like maybe single arm exercises while standing with a staggered stance and the only way it's really going to challenge your core is if you're controlling your core and you're resisting movement of the spine while doing it so the answer in short is like kind of everything that you're doing standing is going to challenge your core to some degree. But I would say like, if, if you want to challenge your core as a primary focus, be intentional about exercises in your workouts that challenge your core. So like a really easy thing to do, for example, part of my back rehab protocol, the when I rehab my back injury because core strength is really important is I actually like superset at a core exercise between every exercise. So like if I did a squat, I would do a plank or a side plank and then squat. And then if I did a bench press, I would do a version of a side plank or like a um, Copenhagen plank, um, those kinds of things. And then actually, actually like a really phenomenal exercise for your core is a B stance deadlift only when done right however so the only way to challenge your core uh, is to make sure that you're moving well and resisting lateral hip shifts flexion rotation and extension um, of the spine while executing an exercise because if you're not resisting those movements you're kind of just letting your body do whatever and you're not really training your core per se anymore you're just kind of like letting your weight like lean like hang on your spine in a way to put it like um say for example you see people doing planks and like their hips are sagging towards the the floor and they're like i can do a five minute plank and you're like well you can hang off your spine for five minutes but that's not a five minute plank so that's where i get that term from of hanging on your spine uh, if you want to train your core, you got to be stable and you got to be have a neutral spine. You got to lock it in place and not let that position or change or have movement of the spine taking place while you're training it. Everybody let me know if that was helpful. Nice. Awesome. Okay. And if you're watching this right now on my personal Facebook group, I'm dropping the link to it. So come hang out in the tribe and the description, the link to the tribe is in the description. Uh, same thing if you're watching this on, if you're listening to this, pardon me, in um, on the podcast, the description to join Tom the Trainer's Tribe and get your answers question 
The link is in the description to Tom, the trainer's tribe and get your answers question. Get your questions answered. Holy, listen to me. I'm not going to even edit this. This is going to be in there. Uh, I'm tired. I got a new puppy. So uh, if you're listening to this anywhere but in the tribe, the link to join the tribe is in the description. Okay, so come, come join the tribe. Okay, cool. So next question is, uh miguel's asking protein synthesis over 40 years of age do we really need 50 percent more than younger adults um so this is a good question I, I don't i've never actually come across this information miguel i've never actually heard this before up until you brought it up um i think like for me the way that i look at protein consumption is really kind of like it doesn't change for me with protein consumption the way i look at it for clients I don't care if it's an 18 year old kid or a 70 year old woman or anybody in between. I kind of look at protein consumption the same for everybody. Um, I think like, I can't see why like a younger adult would need less protein than an older adult. Cause if you think about it too, like a younger adult, say a man who's like 21, 22, the guys that'd be a guy in his prime or even a woman in the prime of their life with the highest ability to build more muscle. So I, I wouldn't understand why they would need less protein than uh, an adult 40 years or above, right? If anything, I would think like they probably need more protein because they actually have the ability to build more muscle and therefore, there would be like a higher demand for protein. But having said that, when I'm looking at setting up a, a diet for a client, I don't consider age with my protein allocation or my protein suggestions. Uh, I keep it all the same for everybody. And there's information out there that might say like, well, as long as you get your protein in a day, that's all that matters. Maybe. I don't know. But I kind of think I, I would personally disagree. And people wouldn't be like, well, science says. And it's like, okay, yeah. Who are the studies done on when they determine if protein timing matters or frequency of protein matters? Untrained individuals, college kids, elderly men and women who are looking to get a bonus from being like a financial bonus from being part of these like research studies. Well, they're going to respond in a way that is unlike somebody who trains more freak more more frequently because they're experiencing newbie gains right so that's kind of part of a thing to consider when you're listening to research out there as well as like people like well you know you only like intermittent fasting is fine because you it just matters about how much protein you eat in a day well like yeah kind of except like the biggest men in the world in the bodybuilding stages have been eating protein at around a gram per pound and some even more like and eating five to six meals per day. And they're the biggest mofos in the base of the planet and have been since the seventies. Why is a research study right? And it's a research study on not like untrained individuals. Why is that research study correct? 
somebody who's never trained before and they put them through like a 14 day study versus the biggest mofos in the world. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because it's just the way I'm saying it, right? Versus like the biggest guys in the world since the 1970s. They're probably on to something. Um, so yeah, I don't necessarily know about like why uh, that information's out there, Miguel. Um, but I would say like, I would definitely kind of consider what's the source of the information, what kind of, when, where's the backing of that information? And then also think like, hmm, does it make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like if you're listening to something or hearing something or reading something and you know, you're like, I don't know about this. This doesn't seem to make sense. It probably doesn't. Right. I say, for example, my luxury lifestyle allowance with the nutritional approach, even if you haven't run it, Miguel's run it. Miguel, Miguel was an amazing client and still is kicking ass even to this day from what he learned working with me. Um, but even if you haven't run the luxury lifestyle allowance, like it kind of makes sense that if we don't consume food, our metabolism slows down because if it didn't, we would have died off every single winter in evolution. Right. Uh, and it kind of makes sense that if you hit a high caloric intake day once per week, it prevents the slowing of your metabolism. Like it just kind of logically makes sense. Right. And there isn't necessarily, there's no research in the industry saying cycling calories where you have six days of allotted calories in one day with a higher allotment of calories. There's no research in the industry backing up that it works but I've got upwards of 300 transformations and counting over the last number of years. So it clearly works. Having said that they're doing research on diet breaks and showing that that's the most sustainable way to lose body fat long-term and, and, and not affect metabolic adaptation from taking place, but they're doing it for like six weeks or eight weeks at a time with one or two weeks off at like caloric maintenance or slightly above. And I'm doing it in a weekly approach, like a, a, a cyclical approach weekly. But anyways, it's like, if you listen to the information and how I talk about the luxury lifestyle allowance, like it's pretty hard to say or think like that doesn't make sense. So in contrast to that, if you're listening to other information or hearing other information somewhere and you're kind of like, I don't know that this makes sense. It might not, it probably don't. And you're probably smart to ask it in the Q and a, right? So yeah, like it's it's a cool question, uh, interesting information. Um, but I just allocate the protein the same for everybody, right? Everybody, I allocate protein the same for everybody, without without age as a factor. I'll put it that way. I do allocate protein based on body fat levels, based on height, based on weight, activity levels. Like that might play a bit of a role in how I allocate protein for somebody, but age is never a factor ever for me. Uh, was that super helpful, everybody? Uh, uh, Jennifer in the Jennifer in the um, comments has said like, what a five minute plank, who could do that? I did a minute and I was dying. That's because Jennifer was part of the shred for Santa challenge. And, and, uh, I gave it a free, a free, I gave it two free workouts to everybody for that. And, uh, she's doing a plank, how I teach a plank, which is actually taking core strength and not hanging off your spine. 
and yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's really hard, right? Um, Robert is asking, um, when you say eat at least five to six meals per day, does that mean five to six meals or can it be four meals with a snack or two, or is it basically individual preference, uh, to what works best? So it's a phenomenal question. Let me grab a sip of water, uh, and I'll get right into it. Okay. So actually, before I even get into this, I want to actually give Robert a shout out because he was part of the Shred for Santa challenge. And on every single Wednesday, we we celebrate wins or what we're most proud of from the week prior in Tom the Trainer's Tribe. And it was Thanksgiving last week and he was part of the Shred for Santa challenge and you get to have a cheat meal in the Shred for Santa challenge. And he had Thanksgiving and he didn't gain weight like a lot of people do. Uh, he lost five pounds running the challenge right? Um, focusing on whole nutritious foods, avoiding junk foods, drinking water, focusing on your step count, getting four workouts per day, and then allocating your calories in a way that allow for you to have a weekly reward meal, enjoy the holidays, and still have success. I want to give a shout out to Robert because clearly he was dialed over the free challenge because he lost five pounds, right? So good for you, bro. Um, so eating five to six meals per day, uh, you can look at eating five to six meals per day dependent on each individual, right? So I have personally in the past, I like to eat. Um, so I eat um, six meals per day, four of them are meals. The fifth, the sixth, uh, pardon me, five of them are meals and the sixth one is a snack, but it's a pretty big snack. It's like 325 grams of Greek yogurt, calorie-free sugar, calorie-free uh, chocolate or caramel, uh, strawberries, pineapples. Everybody's heard about it a million times because I'm going to keep eating it because it's delicious and it works and it's and it, and it helps keep me full. But um, so you could look at it depends on the individual, right? Maybe a lighter individual is going to be like three to four meals and two smaller snacks. A larger man might be able to manage five to six full meals. Um, and like I've personally, when I was trying to build as much muscle as I possibly can and at uh, 40-ish years old at the time, uh, suffered a neck injury, all the muscles on my right side atrophied, my lat, everything. I talked about it earlier in the podcast and I was still able to put on 11 pounds of muscle in 11 months between two photo shoots at 40. Also, as somebody who's literally like, I would say like an advanced lifter, been lifting a really, really long time. And at that time, what I did, I ate like six meals per day, ground beef, spinach, peppers, rice, hot sauce, soy sauce, and just crushed it. And I was, cal I was, I was, I was uh, carb cycling. Like I was, I was doing something that um, crazy differences in carbohydrates and it worked really, really well. Um, so, both works, um, dependent on the individual, dependent on your appetite, dependent on your size. Those are like, you know, and your gender, those are all things that are going to matter. Um, dependent on like your bone structure size, that's going to matter. Um, and I would say also like maybe if you're starting out, and you don't have the appetite for five to six meals, maybe you can have four meals and two snacks and then maybe try to work your up, work yourself up to 
another meal and a snack, right? Because it is going to be dependent. Like you might be in a position where you've got metabolic damage per se, and you're like not overly hungry, right? And so like you don't want to be force feeding yourself. So both works, Robert. It's an individualized approach approach based on those factors that I talked about, right? Um, so again, the factors are going to be like size, bone structure, size, gender, right? Appetite. Um, and then maybe what you do to start isn't what you do six months down the road, because when you are eating on a regular basis, you will start to get hungry at the times of which you're eating because your ghrelin hormones change, which is the hunger hormone. Uh, and your leptin hormones, they'll change as well. Also a reason why we use the luxury lifestyle allowance because it like down regulates your ghrelin hormone, your hunger hormone by having that like weekly reward meal, right? Um, all right. So those are all the questions. I'm pretty sure uh, everybody, I think I saw some comments that everybody wanted to hear the story about Alyssa and I. So... I'm going to get into that and I'm just going to make sure there's no questions in my other group. Okay. So, uh, okay. So I was a young, handsome PT. <laughs> no, I was a, I was a PT, uh, in 2016. I was a PT. Uh, I worked really, really hard to build my business as a PT. Um, I was, and I was helping as many people as I possibly could on the gym floor for free. Um, and honestly, like if you want to be a PT and you want to be successful, like the best business model that you can have is literally like help people be a good person, help people. And like karma will take care of you. Hence, like, I mean, look at what I do in the Facebook group, right? Does anybody know of a Facebook group that offers like this level of support to people? Um, so that's how I was building my business. And I saw Alyssa on the gym floor and she was doing an exercise that wasn't the most efficient exercise. And I went up to her and I was like, um, you know, Hey, just wondering why you're doing that exercise and you know what you're trying to accomplish. Cause you don't want to go up to somebody and be like, Hey, that's a dumb exercise or like, Hey, you're doing that wrong. Cause like, you don't know what that person's trying to accomplish with the form or why they're doing that exercise. Like if you see somebody doing a wall plank, you, you know, somebody might assume and go up to them and be like, what are you doing a wall plank for? Like, that's not challenging. And it's like, well, maybe the person literally like broke three vertebrae in their back. So like stay in your lane, but all like, if you're going to offer help to somebody, find out why they're doing the thing that they're doing. So I, I offered help by asking what, she, why she was doing it, had some free time. And, um, I noticed that I noticed she had back pain just from her movements and she was just kind of like, what? Like, huh? How, how? And I'm just like, ah, oh, it's just kind of like what I do. I notice things like, um, we used to go out for dinner, like in my early career, in my early career, we go out for dinner and like people will be walking by and she'd be like, you're literally analyzing everybody's gait cycle, Tom. Stop analyzing everybody's gait cycle. Like, and I'd be like, oh, that guy's got an issue with his, Q his, his QL. Uh, it's the, it's the muscle that attaches the hip to the ribs. Like I can see it in the way his hip shifts when he, when he walks, just like stop right over dinner. So anyways, um, or like I can watch somebody and be like, that person's got bad, that person's got really sore knees. And it's like, how? It's like, well, I can tell by their gait cycle, right? 
and how they move. That person's got a bad back. How? I could tell by their posture. I could tell they're in pain. Um, so I could tell with her that she was struggling from pain. She had broken her back um, um, somewhat recently from that, recently uh, in within proximity of us meeting. <clears throat> and then um, I, I worked with her, showed her some stuff. We did a consultation, offered her my you know services. And she, at the time, wasn't able to uh, afford personal training. So uh, I gave her all the information to rehab her back. I sent her and I directed her to the information to fix the problem. Um, and she was working away at it and stuff. She was trying really, really hard, not necessarily getting where she wanted to be. Because like information and implementation is different, but I was still doing my best to help her, right? So anyways, I was helping her when I was seeing her. and. Um, and then she bought six training sessions and then she wanted to do training, but she couldn't afford it. And she was, she was, um, getting like four coffees a day, um, at, uh, cause she's a nurse. She's getting like four coffees a day. And I was like, well, like you're, you're drinking like four Tim Horton coffees a day. Like you're spending the money that you could put towards personal training. Um, if you just cut down on, on Tim's and just did home brews, she didn't have a coffee maker. And I was getting up at like four o'clock in the morning back then training clients. So I went out and I bought a coffee maker that had a timer on it that went off in the morning. So that my coffee would be fresh and ready for me in the morning. And I bought a, and I bought a can of Tim Hortons coffee and I gave Alyssa my old coffee maker and a can of Tim Hortons coffee so that she could afford to do personal training. And I was able to fix and rehab her back. Um, and that's kind of like where it started. Right. And then, so, um, got to know her and things like that and getting to know her and, you know, kept things on a professional level. But when we were getting towards the end of our 12 weeks together, I was kind of like, I really hope this girl doesn't want to continue training afterwards. Um, and, uh, at the time I was going, I was going for the number one trainer in all of Canada. I had set a goal. I had set some really lofty goals and I was like, I'm going to be the number one trainer in all of Canada. Um, and it was my first full-time month as a PT after stepping down as a personal training manager. And long story short, on the last day of the month, one of her best friends, she referred one of her best friends to me who had a weight loss goal. And she came in and she signed up for personal training on the last day of the uh, month in March, 2017. I met Alyssa in 2016, but this was in March because I was helping her as best I could until we started working together. So anyways, she referred one of her best friends, her, her best friend signed up for personal training and that personal training agreement made me the number one PT in all of Canada when I was working for good life fitness amongst thousands of trainers across the country for that month, I was the most successful personal trainer across the entire country that month. And, uh, I, I, I woke up the next morning to a message from Alyssa that said, you're number one with a, a winky emoji. And like, I like, I like melted. <laughs> I had this lofty goal and just being a good person and helping her having genuine intentions of helping people and, and, and the way things played out, then she referred somebody to me and that made me the number one PT in all of Canada. But not only did I accomplish that goal, I accomplished that goal with her help. And then like she, 
believed in me and she like said you're number one with a winky face uh text message um and coincidentally this might sound like it's made up but you can't make this stuff up coincidentally that night i had a dream that i asked Alyssa to marry me okay and then the next morning i woke up to a text message from her that said you're number one with a wink emoji that was it like the rest is history right like uh married kids their kids pardon me married own a house matt you know she's maddox's stepmom she's a great stepmom um we just got a pup like like we're in it we're together like she's she's the one right but that's that's our story uh and i think like the biggest thing to take away from it is is like the most important person that i ever met in my life happened and i met her just because i was a good person trying to help people so i think that's an amazing thing to leave the podcast and the training on is like if you're a good people and you're genuine if you're a good person and you're genuinely good to people one day you'll have the best life ever just like never worry about what am i getting out of this and the way that you treat people business personal whatever it is never think like what do i get out of this just give just give 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 and the world will take care of you in return and i'm standing here i'm like living proof of it right um who knows if i'd even be telling the trainer if i didn't meet Alyssa? and actually she used to call me trainer tom so the name tom the trainer is because of because of Alyssa. because I was going to go with trainer Tom, but it was like her like pet name, cute name for me. Uh, and then I, and then I called the business Tom, the trainer. So yeah, just be an awesome person, help people just literally like have the best intentions ever. And that's like the only business model, friendship model, life model that you can have. So if you felt that this was useful, please share this um, with a friend and have the best day ever. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you found today's episode valuable, please give me a five-star review and share it on your social media so I can have an even bigger impact. And if you want more information on how I can help you lose 15 to 52 pounds of body fat in 12 weeks, send me a message that says coaching to my Instagram at TomTheTrainerFitness.